Election Day 2021 is in the books, and although much of the attention in recent weeks has centered around the race for New York City's next mayor, Staten Islanders can expect to see some new faces representing them in Borough Hall and the City Council in the years to come. On election night, the Staten Island Advance had reporters stationed throughout the borough to provide live coverage and instant reactions from the local candidates' camps, where some celebrated declarations of victories and others were forced to concede defeat. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by senior opinions writer Tom Robleski to discuss the biggest races on Staten Island and how their outcomes could shape the future of our borough. Thanks for joining me today, Tom. Uh, Election season is usually one of the busier times of the year for opinion writers, I would imagine. How did uh, the campaign trail treat you this year compared to some of the past? Well, it's a little better uh, in recent years. I do the opinion writing as opposed to the day-to-day political coverage. So, but election night is still one of those nights. I mean, I I probably finished up maybe, you know, like you guys, two o'clock in the morning, you're tired, you've been standing up all night. So, uh, but it was a a full kind of night, a crazy night and a a very interesting night, Staten Island wise, and and as well as what was going on with the, uh, with the national picture, as we've all seen. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we're going to focus primarily on the Staten Island races here. But we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the mayoral election, where current Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams was elected as the next mayor of New York City in what turned out to be a landslide victory. What are your thoughts on the new mayor and how his election could affect Staten Island moving forward? Well, I think a lot of what Eric Adams had told us during our editorial board meeting was kind of in line with what Mayor de Blasio policies that we've seen, yes to congestion pricing, Yes, on speed cameras. Yes, on uh, potential vaccine mandates, including for kids. One of the differences, I think, and and given the fact that uh, Eric Adams, uh, former police captain and and a, and a former borough president, so maybe he understands the borough picture, hopefully. But also, uh, he talked about returning the anti-crime units to the street. You know, these are the uh, police units that focus on getting the guns off the street. So you would think, and he's the second uh, elected African American uh, mayor in New York City with the police background. And, and you would think that this could be uh, one of those mayors who could really bridge that gap, given, you know, the the, the high intensity of the racial debate uh, nationwide, but including in New York, the defund movement. You would think that this would be somebody who could have some uh, reasonable and actionable plans for improving public safety. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to the Staten Island races. I mean, that's why our listeners are here. So uh, let's start with the borough president's race, where former Congressman Vito Fisella secured a convincing victory over Democrat Mark Murphy and conservative Letitia Romero. The person who steps into the arena and tries to fix and improve the quality of life for our residents, constituents, and the people we care about, those are the people who are going to be remembered at the end of the day for doing the right thing. Were you surprised at how handily Fasella won and what can Staten Islanders expect from him during his time in Borough Hall? I, I mean, the, overall, this had been 10 years ago when Fasella was regularly winning, you know, congressional races. I wouldn't have been surprised by the margin. I think given the fact that he's been out of the public eye so much, you, you wondered if, well, would his vote gathering operation, his vote turnout operation still be there? Would that team Republican feel that we had in years past still be there? I think there's something to be said for the individual effort, but also I think, and again, we're seeing what we saw in Virginia, what we saw in New Jersey. I think this was this is almost like the midterm elections came a year early in uh, as opposed to 2022. And what Republicans were saying at GOP headquarters last night was in their canvassing of voters on Staten Island, they'd never heard such anger. 
there's a lot of dissatisfaction with President Biden. I'm guessing that independence on Staten Island, as you've seen nationwide, that gave Biden a chance because, you know, they didn't want Donald Trump to get another term. Now, maybe they're saying, well, maybe now we're not going to, you know, we're not going to stay with them forever. There was a lot of disagreement, whether it's vaccine mandates, whether it's border policies. And I asked people, well, what's the reason for the big outsized Republican vote? And it's like, and I'm told Biden, 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 mm-hmm. and then and take your pick of whatever issue they don't like. So I, I think and I think you're seeing that in Virginia with the governor's race and you're seeing that in the in the Virginia, in the uh, New Jersey governor's race as well. Just this is a moment where uh, re- people are voting Republican and I think they're sending a message to the uh, to the administration. So I know it's been a little while since, as you mentioned, Fasella has been in politics in the public eye like this. And we have outgoing borough president Jimmy Otto, who is always super involved, super vocal, putting his stuff out there. Fasella ran a pretty quiet campaign. He, he seemed pretty reserved. He wasn't saying a lot in the public eye. What do you think during his time in Borough Hall, what, what is his administration going to look like? Is he going to be as focused on some of that uh, outward constituent servants stuff and, and advocating for Staten Island as, as Otto has been in the past couple of years? I mean, I think as a borough president, you have to be in a lot of ways. Jimmy Otto, Matteo, the, uh, you know, his uh, chief of staff who uh, and, and uh, the city councilman who, who made the uh, unsuccessful bid for borough president, the, the hallmark of that office has been getting involved in the nitty gritty, the pothole, every stop sign, every street lamp. I, I think given Fasella's experience in the House and also the fact that given his experience in the House and also given, you know, the, the the scandal that drove him from office back in 2008 is more of a citywide figure in some ways, more of a national figure in some ways. So I think he's going to speak to those issues. One of the caveats I had in evaluating him in terms of an endorsement was when he was the congressman and I was the political reporter at the time, he could be a distant figure. Now, again, you go to D.C. and, and you're going to be a little distant, like when you go to Albany, you can be distant. Uh, but we did feel that he would put his spokesperson in front of us as news gatherers. So um, as Staten Island Borough President, I don't think you can do that necessarily because you have to be in the community. He does have a vast amount of knowledge. He was a city council member back in the uh, back in the 90s. He was a, a congressman for a long time. Uh, so I think he's well prepared to attack all those local issues. I think he knows those local issues coming in, whether it be environment, resiliency, development, uh, public safety issues. Uh, I just think that I think people will want to see him more more as a, an everyday presence. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, let's discuss the local city council races, starting with the Mid-Island race, which I think a lot of people expected to be a bit closer than it turned out to be. We ended up with Republican David Carr defeating Democrat Sal Albanese by a pretty significant margin, taking the seat of former, well, still councilman, but Stephen Matteo, who will be term limited out of office soon. And I think the message is clear. Assembly Mr. was talking about this earlier, but there's one entity one entity on Staten Island that above all others speaks to the concerns and values of public safety, law and order voters, and it's no union, it's called the Republican Party of Staten Island. Is this the outcome that you were expecting there? And and what does this mean for Mid-Island? I mean, I didn't, I'm not sure how much I bought. Listen, they always ask you on election night, what do you think is gonna happen? You don't wanna make a prediction because you could end up, you know, looking like an idiot, you know, five hours later. I didn't necessarily buy the just because Sal Albanese, and again, former Brooklyn councilman, um, had run for mayor a bunch of times, ran for uh, ran for Congress here against Susan Molinari back in the 90s. Very familiar to us, had moved here recently from Brooklyn. Vast knowledge. I, I didn't get the argument that 
simply because the PBA and a lot of other public safety and police unions endorsed him, that that was going to turn the tide in that district. Now, the, the other wild card was that George Wanaka was on the conservative line mm-hmm. in that district. So if people were like, well, you know, I'm not so sure about Carr and I'm not so sure you've got because that's Jimmy Otto's former seat, right? And it was John Fusco's seat before that. So Otto worked for Fusco. Matteo worked for Otto. Carr worked for Matteo. Do we really want to do another line of succession thing? But the, the success in that, the the constituent service that you were talking about is, again, a hallmark of, of that seat. So I, I wasn't sure that, that all of a sudden, after after 30 years of voting Republican, you know, and on, on a night when Republicans were expected to really storm the barricades and to be eager to get out there and vote, to cast their vote against, you know, de Blasio, even though he's leaving in the policies, <laughs> to cast their vote against Biden, that they were going to say, well, you know, while I'm at it, you know, I'm going to vote for Vito Fasella probably, and I'm going to vote for Sal Albanese, who, you know, is a known name, but not a known Staten Island name. Um, I, I, I'm not, I can't say that I'm surprised to see that, given the fact that Fasella's out there guessing up the Republican vote. Andrew Lanza, the state senator, was probably getting his people out. I'm sure that Otto, Matteo, all these people are working. That's their district. That's their home. So I, 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 that would have been a shock to me if, if, if it had gone the other way. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, and I think that maybe people see that Mid Island as maybe the swing uh, district just because they always assume North Shore is going to be Democrat and South Shore is going to be Republican, and maybe we can flip that Mid Island seat. But as you mentioned, it has been kind of a, a coaching tree almost of uh, of representatives there in in recent years, and now it continues that way with uh, Carr replacing Matteo. But well, and also don't forget that this to your point. Mike Cusick represents the assembly district in the mid island. It's, you know, it, it's a lot of the same areas and he's a Democrat, but he's mm-hmm. not a, a liberal Democrat. He's, he's, he's a conservative Democrat. He's run with conservative party support in many of his elections. So mm-hmm. I think that's where that sort of swing district. And before him, it was uh, Eric Vitaliano, another uh, Democrat, you know, a union guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, so I think that, I think to, that's why people kind of see it. And it is, yeah, North is, is Democrat, South is Republican. So we're going to make the mid, you know, sort of a toss up. Hasn't been that way in city council races. Yeah. It's and the so, coach tree thing, I agree with 100%. That is the way I always refer to it. It's like, this is like, this is like the John Fusco coaching tree. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's like if you work under Andy Reid for a bit, you get a coaching job somewhere. But uh, let's, let's move on to the North Shore where uh, Democrat Camilla Hanks was elected to fill the void that will be left by the term limited department of Councilwoman Debbie Rose. You know, this race seemed like somewhat of a foregone conclusion for many, considering the way the North Shore has voted in the past, as we mentioned. But it turned out to be a little closer than than I expected, and I think that some other people expected. Were you surprised by that? And also, what do you think of uh, Camilla's ability kind of to represent the North Shore, given her limited past experience in politics? Well, well, she's been involved civically. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Stapleton resident. I know she's a Stapleton resident as well. So I'm familiar with her from the district. She's been a big advocate for Tappan Park, for other, you know, other areas. You know, she ran the last time against Debbie Rose, you know, again, seen in a primary, again, seen as a run up to to doing it when the seat was going to be available. So a lot of times that's that's what happened. people come into the city council. They're community activists. They've had experience in other areas, and this is sort of where they uh, enter politics. So, so I have confidence that she's that, that she's going to do just fine. I, I was surprised to see. I mean, I don't know if, if, if Pat Rondinelli, the Republican candidate, broke 40 percent, but it was she high. Did, yeah, she broke yeah. the 40 percent. Now, now, to me, that's that's a surprise. And I know that Camilla uh, Hanks is a very energetic candidate. She's out there in the community. 
Uh, it was she wasn't one of these, you know, it's not an autopilot kind of, oh, I'm going to win because I'm a Democrat in a Democratic district. So I know she worked it. And Pat Rondinelli is not a name, you know, usually like said, the Republicans will put up somebody's aide, you know, somebody's chief of staff, somebody's mm -hmm. legislative director. Or like if you're running for judge, you were probably somebody's law clerk or probably somebody's court attorney, somebody right. who maybe the name is a little more familiar. Pat Rondinelli, like Olivia Drapsic in the South Shore race, complete unknown. You know, probably helped by having some, uh, you know, public matching funds, which thankfully, you know, the, the matching fund program is there for races like that. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I was a little bit surprised. But then again, it's it, it's 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 a Republican year, just like it, it's like 2018, which was a midterm election. Democrats and we knew this. We talked about this. All of us Democrats would, you know, chomping at the bit to get out there and vote against <laughs> Trump. You know, and that's when Max Rose wins and every uh, the Congress race on Staten Island. And I just think that you kind of have to take those kinds of races in that context and say, all right, this is an overwhelmingly Republican year. Uh, when people look back at 2021, they're going to see, you know, even on Staten Island, even in the quote unquote red borough, which hasn't been as red in the in recent years, you know, Max Rose wins, Matt Titone wins a surrogates race, Mike McMahon wins a DA race. So I, I think, but, but still I'm kind of, I am kind of surprised that the number did, uh, did get that high. Yeah, I, I was surprised by that one as well. And let's move on to one that turned out being the landslide victory that we expected, which was the South Shore City Council race, where incumbent Republican Councilman Joe Borelli defeated Democratic challenger Olivia Drabzik. But when Eric Adams take that, takes that big toe of his and sticks it in the water of the progressive pool, we are going to be here to remind him that the majority of voters are sick and tired of the crap that's been thrown down our throats by City Hall, where there is higher crime, lower quality of life, more taxes, and more nonsense. Thank you guys, and God bless you all. What were your thoughts on this race? Was there any really doubt that Borelli was uh, going to win this re-election? I don't think so. Again, you never want to say for sure. I mean, the Patriots go 18 and 0 or whatever, and then you know they, they lose the world, they lose the uh, Super Bowl. I, I, I. But again, now contrast the South Shore to the North Shore, right? This South Shore candidate, very active. Olivia Drabzik, she was in there. They, they, there was a lot of cross swords in this over tweets, defunding the police, all kinds mm -hmm. of other things, and that number is like. I mean, basically, the Democratic candidate in that race could have gone to the Catskills for the summer and would have gotten the same number, right? You don't have to campaign. You would have gotten that. There's a certain number of Democrats who are going to vote for you, no matter what your name is on that line. So, mm -hmm. that again, that's another interesting parallel with what happened uh, in the North Shore. And, in fact, I think Borelli was confident of, of his win, that he was actually doing a lot to help David Carr in the Mid-Island. He put out some videos yeah. on Facebook because, again, I think what 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 Borelli was you know, telling us was people don't remember when Sal Albanese was in the city council. He was a little bit more liberal. He was, you know, now he's kind of trying to sell himself as he's a, a moderate or a conservative Democrat. And it's not worried. We need to remind. So I think there was such confidence on that on the part of Borelli, even though he did. He did engage. It wasn't like he ignored uh, the opponent. He didn't, certainly. But he was able to also be part of that uh, of that Mid-Island win as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the races that tend to get overlooked a bit, um, specifically in this case, the New York Supreme Court and New York Civil Court seats. And so, uh, as was the case everywhere besides the North Shore, uh, Republicans swept the ballot this year with Ron Castorina and Paul Maroon taking the two Supreme Court seats and Brendan Lantry taking the Civil Court seat. Can you just kind of explain to our listener uh, how these judges that get elected can affect the borough moving forward? 
Well, well, this is something that Republicans have always focused on traditionally nationwide, statewide, you know, whether it's Supreme Court, uh, you know, national Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, whether it's courts of appeal, appellate courts, you know, because these now you get elected to Supreme Court, you're in there for 14 years and you get elected this the civil court. That's 10 years now, unless there's some hellish scandal or you go chase another seat, you can do a lot from being a judge. So that's why these seats are are really, really coveted. Now, the Republicans on Staten Island, they've won the last four uh, state Supreme Court seats that have become available. The, uh, the other year, I think it was 2018 or 19, they didn't even have uh, Democratic opposition because the Democrats had messed up their uh, their paperwork. This year, that almost happened to the Republicans. There were problems with their nominating petitions. Castorina himself argued the case and they got put back on the ballot made it a more competitive race um island-wide staten island still tends to vote republican for the most part i understand max rose and other uh folks and and, and other uh, democrats have won um borough wide i was surprised and i know that ann thompson and and and, and charles troya they're very well respected their, their republican uh opponents respect them and and they, they're still sitting judges as well but so I think that's a big deal. And, and Brendan Lantry, the former GOP chair, they, they were saying last night the 76 percent was the most was the biggest margin of victory that they'd ever seen in a, in a Staten Island judicial race. I haven't done the research and it would take a long mm-hmm. time to do the research, but that's a really healthy number. And again, it's it's something. And now going forward, those seats are going to be Republican, you know, and that's going to be, you know, Republicans and Democrats do things differently in elective office and they're nonpartisan in the judicial thing. I know, but we all know better that there's different viewpoints and and that's so that that's that's a very important thing and that's a real feather in the cap for if you talk to Staten Island Republicans or the party people they're going to say yeah Fisella yeah but David Carr very happy he goes boy did you see those judgeships that we got last <laughs> night they're, gonna, they're very excited about that stuff and that should tell you something yeah that's very interesting because like I mentioned at the onset I think that that's something that sometimes gets overlooked by the by the average voter but to, to- nobody ever ex- they'll tell you nobody ever expects to be a suspect and nobody, you know, ever expects to be a crime victim. So generally, these things kind of happen. Like, okay, who cares who the DA is? Unless there's times of high crime. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, who's the DA and who's the, you know? So that I think that's why these races and they they can't really campaign the way a political candidate can campaign. Exactly. And after they become judges, they don't have to go to fundraisers. They can't do political stuff anymore. So I think they kind of disappear from from the public. And I think that's why this stuff kind of gets around people. Yeah, for sure. And to wrap things up, I wanted to ask you what you thought about the five state ballot p- proposals that New Yorkers voted on this year. We, we don't really have time to touch on all of them one by one, but I was just wondering if any of them stood out to you and, and why. Well, I thought it was interesting that the the three, you know, clean water, clean air, who's going to vote against clean water and clean air <laughs> and, and the civil court thing. Yeah, I want to sue for more money. Yeah, so that's fine. I think that's and I think those were the two that 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 have passed. The other three having to do with redistricting and also with absentee voting, voting registration deadlines and everything. Mm-hmm. I think, again, in seeing that it's a red wave kind of year. And again, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that th- those those measures failed. And I think that's a reaction to 2020. I think that's a reaction to re- people who are Republican or people who voted Republican independents, mostly saying like, I don't want it to be just as anybody can vote anytime, anywhere, drop their ballot anywhere. I don't want to get into uh, election integrity, ballot security, Trump versus Wisconsin. That's but that this is definitely part of that where they say, you know, we want to know when the votes are cast. 
you should have to register by a certain time. We don't want it to be a free for all. You know, we have online, you know, we have early voting. We have all this other stuff. It's never been easier to vote. A lot of people will tell you, you can, the only thing to make it easier is if someone came to your door, knocked on the door and handed you the ballot and waited for you to fill it out. That's the only way it would become easier to vote in the state of New York. You can absentee vote for almost any reason now, where it used to be a little bit more restrictive. So I think in a red, and I think the folks who put that on the ballot said, uh, would probably, they probably think we can't put it on the ballot in 2022 because that's going to be a bad year for Democrats. Yeah. Let's put it on the ballot this year and maybe we'll get this stuff in and it'll help us in 2022. And, you know, they got skunked on that one. Yeah, we saw how that played out. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. It's always a pleasure talking to you and we appreciate all the valuable insight you continue to provide Staten Islanders. Eric, anytime I can talk to you, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Of course. Did you know on May 4th, 1971, Staten Islander Paul Zendel won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama for his play Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds? Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.